Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Uh, You guys good? Uh, real quick, um, they asked me to announce this several weeks ago. I put in a plug for CC Music, and uh, I say this all the time, don't take for granted uh, what we get to sit under every week. They're pretty phenomenal, uh, which can be a little bit intimidating, but some of you have uh, signed up to audition, and God's called you to this, and you have the talent to do this, and uh, the audition deadline is November 1st, so just a heads up for that, or if you're planning on it, you can go to the website and get all the information, um, but man, if, if, if you just feel like maybe, maybe this is a thing, God's called me to it, don't back down. Um, I know it's nerve-wracking. Take the step, November 1st. And then one more reminder, um, or actually I'll remind you again next week, but October 30th, that's a big Sunday. Halloween Spectacular and kids committed to the next generation and to have fun and to connect them to Jesus. It's also our Fall Fest Sunday. So there's going to be so much to do, so much interaction, community. And the reason we do a lot of these things is obviously for community, but for uh, you to invite. And most every person, we've baptized, I think, 20 people in the last, like, just so many weeks. And almost every story has been about them being invited by somebody else, and then it changed everything. So I say it all the time. You have no idea what God wants to do. So October 30th is a great time to invite. And we start a brand new series called God. God of underdogs. That's all about if I don't feel enough, I'm not qualified, I'm not adequate. What would you do if you believe that God was with you and for you? How would that change your life? And um, my wife is going to teach this with me. So we're going to kind of tag team back and forth this four-week series. I'm going to lead it off on the 30th and she's going to take over. And I never, ever get my feelings hurt. I feel like you guys like her a lot of times more than me. So I know you're excited about that. So October 30th, you just need to be here. You need to invite somebody. But today, I am so excited about this. I say it every year and I mean it. We changed the title this year, but this is the time I'm most excited about. I'm most proud of our church and what we've done over the last few years and the fact that we get to do it again. And actually, um, little do many of you know, we're a part of a network of churches that is doing this all over the country, and it's all going into local communities, but millions and millions and millions of dollars are being raised through our North Point partner network, and I love the fact that we get to be a part of this. So um, here is the whole idea behind the title, and I think it's self-explanatory, but this whole idea for the city. I grew up in a religious environment where I always want to be careful. My dad was a pastor and was incredible. But I'm talking about the environment, the denominational culture, um, a lot of evangelicalism in, you know, the West. That's pretty broad brushstrokes, but it's just true. Uh, A lot of what the church is known for and what Jesus is known for is what we're against. Like one of the things that drives me crazy still, it drove me crazy, you know, early on, and it still does because it still happens all over the place, is all of the things that Christians feel the need to boycott as if anybody cares. Um, and like that's going to do the world any kind of um, you know, service or any kind of good. I mean, we boycotted all kinds of stuff, uh, from Disney uh, to dancing to Starbucks to the Smurfs. 
Uh, and that may be that you're not tracking with any of that. If you grew up in church culture, some of you know what I'm talking about. I mean, uh, Disney, that's taken on several different iterations. So that just, that changes with each generation. We're boycotting for new reasons. Um, so that's fine. My kids love it. Um, we, we dancing, we didn't do that. That was a huge word against that. And because that's one step away from debauchery. And so uh, couldn't do that. And we just ignored the, the verses in the Bible that had it in there. Um, what were some of the other ones? Starbucks. I mean, that's a big one because they don't celebrate. Christmas enough or something. Uh, I just, I thought they just served coffee. So that really wasn't a big deal to me. Um, what's it? Smurfs. Did anybody grow up with that? Yeah. Did anybody watch Smurfs as a kid? Sinners. Like that. Gargamel was into witchcraft and that you couldn't watch that. And so that was one. Um, I'm trying to think like there's all kinds of crazy stuff. We thought some the environment I grew up in, if, and if you're one of those churches um, that served real wine at communion, we weren't even sure if you were saved. So like that was a big, like, we were really, really against that. Um, or some of the other ones. And then like in an effort to, we just want to distance ourselves from everything in the world because it's all evil. Um, there was this movement that's still going strong to create a whole weird Christian subculture. So it's just like we would try to copy everything from the culture, but just slap Christian on it, um, which is ridiculous because movies can't get saved. Neither can music. Like it's just, you know, morally neutral. And so we would make really bad Christian movies um, that should have been left behind a long time ago. Uh, really, really, thank you. Re all, I'll be here all series. Uh, really bad uh, music that was just horrible. It's just a knockoff of like good music, but with Christian lyrics that you didn't want to listen to. And so all of this stuff, and I'm making fun a little bit, and I probably offended several people, but you get the drift, like this idea of, okay, what, what are you for? Like you're a, against a lot of stuff, and a lot of it I don't even understand, and we would make, like another one, I could keep going all day, another one was like we, we couldn't go to the movies. That was a big one back in the day. We were against movies, but we would always find loopholes so you could actually watch the same exact movies. You couldn't go to them. You could just, but if it was on VCR, yes. which for some of you, that's from the land of make-believe, but like you can Google it, what a VCR is. You could go home and watch it, but you couldn't go to it. So that was another rule. But, but here was the important thing, and this is where it really got bad, as if that wasn't bad enough, is when we would kind of be against whole categories of people. And we would never say it that way because we're more sophisticated in that. But the way we talked about, the way we interacted, if we did interact, it was more of a condescending, I'm going to pray for you, but never as somebody who is kind of my equal and made in the image of God, even if they don't believe the God that I serve. And we would just write off whole categories of people. And I like, you know, I don't know that it's a ton different in 2022, that the church has made whole massive categories of people that will we'll give lip service to the fact that we love you, but then we'll put explicatives on flags and stick them out in front of our house just to make sure that you know. Wow. Yep. And here's the thing as you look at the life of Jesus and study him in the gospels, you see something completely to the contrary to that. Like, here's the thing that I cannot get away from as you look at the life of Jesus. It's so powerful to me. And just read it for yourself. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And I think this is just as important. And Jesus liked them. 
and they didn't believe that he was the son of God. They didn't have the same theology. They didn't agree on everything. And yet this was the dynamic over and over again with Jesus. And then the other thing is, is he was hanging out in his three-year ministry and doing what he needed to do, which culminated in the cross and the resurrection. You wouldn't see him spending a bunch of time siding with the religious leaders about all the things they were against. And they were, they were against a lot of stuff. But he would constantly be moving in the direction of people nothing like them to let let them know and so that they would never forget that he was for them. Like if you look at the gospel, the thing that rises to the surface that you cannot get away from is Jesus' primary mission to every single person he interacted with was this, that everybody matters to God whether God matters to them or not. Like you don't have to move in God's direction for God to move in your direction. And it was the primary like, ethic and, and modeling that Jesus put on display all throughout the New Testament. And I've talked about this a lot, but it so fascinates me. But as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, into first century culture and started his ministry, I can't tell you how this was completely countercultural. Like people in that moment in time were property and nothing more. Yeah. Like the whole idea that everybody matters to God, we kind of assume that in our culture. And even if you don't believe in a God, you're like, if there was a God, I would kind of think that that's what God would be like. But everybody matters to God. That's 101. That's elementary for us. I cannot overemphasize that in the first century, that was not an ethic in the ancient world. Gods did not care. The, the way that we define love and, and virtue was not the way they defined it in the first century. And in fact, people, again, they were nothing more than property. Slavery in the first century wasn't just practiced. It was assumed. And slavery was different, as I'll talk about in a second, because it wasn't so much based on race. Anybody could be a slave. And in their culture, they just assumed this is how the world works. In fact, they would attribute it to the gods. It was the God's will. And in fact, anybody had the potential to become somebody's property because in that ancient world, you could become somebody's property because a nation would conquer another nation and then they would just take a whole people group and make them slaves, i.e. Israel. Um, that you would maybe you would have a health issue and you couldn't take care of that health issue. And so you would literally put yourself under somebody else's authority as their property in order to be cared for. If you had debt, a lot of times the only way out of your debt was to sell yourself into slavery. This was how the ancient world functioned. People were property. They were commodities. They were not anything more. And just about anybody in that culture had the potential to be somebody else's property. And then more than that, this is what Jesus entered into. In a Greco Roman world, the gods did not care for you. See, again, that's something that we just assume. The ancient world, is when Jesus showed up, nobody thought that. They were trying to appease the gods to get their crops to grow. They were hoping the gods would not send down wrath on them. But the gods did not care about people. The gods didn't love people. That was not even in their religious thinking or vernacular in the first century. In fact, child sacrifice was fairly common because of the way that they viewed the gods and people and children in that society, individuals didn't have intrinsic value. And those are things, even in our crazy world, and there's different parts of the world that view things very differently, but even in our world, there's so much of that that we assume. And I can't overemphasize the fact that when Jesus showed up on planet earth, that was not assumed. And in fact, the opposite was true. I mean, in that world, there was even a hierarchy among slaves. Like you had your household slaves, you had field slaves, you had mine, um, salt mine slaves. All of it was a hierarchy, depending on kind of where you were at. There is, I've made fun of this before, but it's true. There is even a hierarchy among the gods. 
So you could get a different God depending on your income level and your level of affluence. So if you were lower middle class, I mean, good luck, man. I don't know if your crops are going to grow. Your God's pretty weak. If you are upper middle class, you get like Jupiter and Zeus. If you're in the middle, you get a middle class God. I mean, everything was hierarchical, even the gods who did not care about people. Everybody was a commodity. Intrinsic value was not assumed. And then Jesus showed up. And you can study this for yourself, but no figure has introduced a different brand of compassion and view of people into planet Earth. It is nobody in history or religion in history is like what Jesus began to introduce in first century culture. And he walked into Palestine when I talked about this last series, there was this delicate balance of power between Roman authorities and Jewish religious authorities. And the Jewish religious authorities had to try to keep the masses in line in order to not disrupt their influence with the occupiers in Rome. And so here's how they would do this. They would literally use and leverage the law of God in order to keep people in line and help people to understand their place in that kind of culture. They made sure that women knew how women were viewed in that culture. They made sure that that slaves, that children, that Samaritans, that lepers, others who were on the outside and marginalized, the, literally the religious leaders would leverage and use the law of God to let them know that in their idea, the favor of God only rested on prosperous, wealthy, healthy men. Wow. And that compassion, it's a virtue to many of us in our culture, even if you don't believe in God, compassion was not a virtue. Compassion was weak. It was might made right. And so depending on your wealth, your family, last name, what you were born into, that determined whether you had any wealth, any, any status or not, or whether you had any worth or not. And then Jesus comes along and he shifts the paradigm upside down. And Jesus began to speak as if every single person had dignity and every single person mattered to God. And I would challenge some of you who don't believe in God, the reason that you agree with that statement, even if you factor out the Jesus part, that every person matters, every person has dignity, is because Jesus introduced that idea. The compassion wasn't weak. That meekness wasn't weak. And that there was a difference between ascribed value based on where you were born or what skill level you have or how much money you make and an errant value, intrinsic value, because you've been made and manufactured with value, regardless of what your lot in life looks like. And Jesus began to teach that. And I'm telling you, I can't emphasize this enough. It wasn't natural. It wasn't universal. It is not what many of us think, that that's just intuitive. That's how humans think. No, no, no. Once upon a time, that's not how humans thought. I mean, just to put it at street level, isn't this true? I mean, for some of us, in order to be good, however you define good, you've had to overcome a lot of demons personally to get there. It wasn't natural. It wasn't universal. It wasn't intuitive. In fact, you have scrapped and clawed your way to being good. You had to overcome some pretty deep demons inside of you. Like it's not the natural bent of humanity. And so Jesus showed up on planet earth when everybody thought the way people generally and naturally think without a creator God of the universe, that people don't have value, that people are a commodity. It's all about where you live and what you have and how much money you make and what your family name is. And then Jesus shows up to shift the entire thing and turn it upside down. And I'm telling you, he stunned his audience with that backdrop. 
when he said this, and Matthew recorded it in Matthew 5, 42, I want you to give to the one who asks you. Fill in the blank for Samaritan, woman, child, leper, a Roman. I want you to give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And they thought the same thing that we still think 2,000 years later. Well, what if they don't pay me back? Or what if, like, what if they take advantage of me? And Jesus, he's gonna say in a few minutes, perfect. No, no, I'm serious, perfect. Then you're set up to be and to do exactly what God wants you to do. And I'm just telling you, this was shocking in the first century culture because they thought about all of the marginalized people in the society that were not as good as them. You're telling you want us to borrow or allow them to borrow from us without anything in return? with the risk of being taken advantage of. And then verse 43, Jesus says, and you guys have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And the reason that they had heard it said was because this was a common idiom in the first century. It was the scribes had a lot of oral tradition. And one of the oral traditions that culture just accepted was that you were to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And in fact, I think without God in the picture, that's where all of us naturally go. Love our neighbor, hate the people, that we just feel like we should hate or that don't, we don't get along with or took advantage of us or hurt us. And so Jesus is going, this is what you've commonly heard, but verse 44, I tell you, meaning what you thought about God, your theology, it was all wrong. I tell you, this was new. Love your enemies and pray for those who do what? Persecute you. And everybody who's listening to Jesus is like, who would do that? No average person would do that. No mortal man would do that. I mean, come on, 2,000 years later, do you do that? I mean, do we do that? I mean, we, I, you have trouble praying for your friends a lot of times. And then you see them, you're like, well, I should have been praying for you. Like, I totally forgot. Uh, to, to pray for our enemies, to pray for your boss that you don't like right now, to pray for the neighbor down the street, to pray for the person that's trolling you on social media, like that's a whole nother level. And Jesus introduces this paradigm shifting idea. Hey, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to pray for the people that actually intentionally wrong you and persecute you. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means to be a part of my movement. I mean, come on, just real quick. I say this a lot, but can you imagine if we just did that? I mean, do you know what happens when you get, begin to pray for people that have intentionally hurt you? Do you know what happens when you get, begin to pray for people who've wronged you or people you don't like or people who don't vote the same way that you do or people that you don't quite understand or they have a different background? You know what happens when you sincerely pray for them long enough? Your heart is moved toward them. You begin to be like your father in heaven. And everybody listening to Jesus is like, well, no average person would do that. And Jesus is like, I'm not starting an average movement. It's a higher standard. You're called to something more. This is what it means to actually follow me. And then verse 45, and here's the reason that, and they're like, so that we can be scorned and ridiculed, called weak? No, so that, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That if you care about this, if you wanna be like God, if you want to grow in closer relationship with God, be like your father in heaven, like father, like child. They're like, well, why, why would we do that? 
Because that's how God operates. That's how God views the world. This is not an add-on. This is not, if you get to 401 Christianity, this is just the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. Verse 45, and he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Basically, this is it's called common grace, that people who hate God and people who love God get some of the same benefits. That God gives some level of grace to people who have abandoned and run from him their whole life and people who have followed them their whole life. And so what Jesus is saying in this moment is, this is what I do for people who don't even like me. I want you to figure out how to do the same thing. I want you to bless those who bless you and I want you to bless those who don't bless you and that even despise you. And honestly, like if I were teaching this and if it wasn't Jesus' words, I wouldn't come up with that. I wouldn't teach that. I wouldn't have the boldness to even say that. This is Jesus. And then he says, and if you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, just real quick. I love this. By Jesus is brilliant. Okay, think of the, and I'm not going to name any categories, obviously, because that would just, go, I would not try to give you examples, but think about in your mind, and it might depend on your background and what you've experienced, but think of the worst category of people that you can imagine. Saints fans, like what, like, what, I'm just kidding. You matter to God. Like what would the worst category, because that's, you heard me talk about this before, but that's the, that's the tax collectors in the first century. I, I, I over communicate this, but it's just so funny to me that like whatever bad was in the first century, the pimps, the prostitutes, the, you know, the whatever, the drug addicts, they're like, okay, we're sinners, but we're not tax collectors. So give them a different category. So Jesus was always with the sinners and the tax collectors because the sinners didn't want to be categorized with the tax collectors. They were traitors. They were the worst of the worst. They were thieves. And so Jesus is making a point here of like, listen, if you only greet the people who you know or love the people that you know, what reward are you going to get? I mean, tax collectors do that. And in their culture, that was a big deal because he's saying, you're no better than them. You're not any different than them. You're not doing anything different than they do. And then verse 47, if you greet only your people, like your tribe, people that you relate to, that you, thank you very much, that, that you understand. Like, what does that really do? Don't even the pagans do that? So here's the thing, like, in our cultural moment that I, I talk about a lot. I think this is the tragedy of how the church and Christians are viewed in a lot of circles in our culture because there's all of this back and forth and building walls and we're against and us and them and, and the Jesus followers, the church the people who say that they are followers of a crucified and resurrected Savior. We don't look any different. There's no distinction. There's nothing to capture the attention of people who are around us. And what Jesus is saying is, I want you to do more than others. When did you think the standard was everybody else? Do you not know who you're following? I want you to capture the attention of people around you and get noticed by how well you treat people who don't treat you well. That's another level, man. And he actually says this in verse 48. If you do, you're gonna be perfect. I'll explain what he's talking about. Verse 48, be perfect, therefore. If you do all this, as your heavenly father, it's perfect. 
Now, there's two applications of this. The first one you see all throughout the New Testament. I think there, you can kind of go both ways with this. But the first application is this, is that all throughout the New Testament, Jesus wanted to ramp up the standard so that none of us would ever fall victim to the illusion that somehow we can be good enough for God. And so part of this verse is to go, hey, you want to know what the standard is? Be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. We're like, I can't do that. Exactly. That's why I'm, I'm here. You can't be perfect. You have no ability to do that. And if you've got some dumbed down standard of like, you're going to beat your neighbor out, maybe. But perfection from your heavenly father, nobody's getting to that. So that's one application to let us know we need a savior. We can't get there. But the other application is this, in regard to kind of spiritual maturity and maturing in relationship with God. He's going, if you want to really be mature, this is not not making mistakes. This is not about not sinning. That's not possible. In fact, that's what the Pharisees thought. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what the Pharisees tried. And it didn't end well. Jesus' point is, you want to be mature? You want to mirror and model what your heavenly father is like? then here's the way you do it. Do good for those who cannot or won't do anything good for you. Let's sing a song and go. (laughs) Jesus is like, that's it. And there's a bunch of other stuff that you stack up that is great, but it's kind of, it's easier. That's 101. Anybody can sing songs. Anybody pretty much can get in a group. Anybody can learn theology and slap a verse on some stuff. You want to know where it gets really hard? Go do things for people who are nothing like you and don't even like you and can never do anything in return. That's when you're most like your father in heaven. That's what it means to be godly. That's godlikeness. That's, hey, you want to be like your father? Love people who can't. And honestly, maybe won't ever love you in return. And I don't think we teach that very much anymore. I think we teach a brand of Christianity that's a lot of songs and community groups and learning theology and feeling good because we love to create echo chambers where everybody thinks and believes and behaves the same way. And nobody is moving to the people that they would characterize as their enemies. People that are not gonna do anything good in return and loving those people the way that Jesus has loved them. But you wanna know what captures the attention of the world? You wanna know what changed things in the first century? That's what changed things. The thing is, you look at what Jesus modeled throughout the New Testament through this lens and it is astonishing, it's shocking. Like one day he rolls up on this woman at the well who's a Samaritan. That means nothing to us because you've heard, some of you heard the story so many times. You saw it on flannel graph. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get that. Like I cannot overestimate his 12 guys in the first century when Jesus did this, they're going, you did what? You're talking to who? She's a woman. Did you not see? She's a Samaritan. And this is offensive to us, but this is what they thought in the first century. Samaritan was a half breed. They weren't even a person. And there Jesus is eyeball to eyeball with this Samaritan woman talking to her about the grace of God. It was astonishing. It was shocking. And it wasn't accidental because in this moment, he's going, I don't know if you guys know it yet, but I have come for something very specific that's going to disrupt everything in terms of religion and what people thought about God. Women are now going to have value in my economy. Samaritans are now going to be dignified in my economy. And you might not, and culture may not see it, but that's what it looks like in the upside down kingdom of Jesus. Jesus. And then one day he's traveling along and a Roman centurion comes up to him and a Roman centurion was the enemy. 
And the disciples quickly like get him away. Of course, we're not going to help a Roman centurion. These guys are the enemy. The Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus is like, shut up to his disciples. My paraphrase. And then he heals this Roman centurion as a very symbolic and public act that in my economy, you bless those who don't bless you. You pray for those who persecute you. You love people who are not on your side because that's what Jesus did for you. And then one day he's traveling along and he invites Zacchaeus out of a tree who was a tax collector. Couldn't even be in the center category because he was too bad. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Later on, Matthew, tax collector. Matthew, come into your house as well. Open the good wine. Had a party. Everybody who was marginalized society showed up and all of the Pharisees were kind of looking in the window to figure out what in the world is Jesus doing, celebrating and breaking bread and drinking good wine with pimps, prostitutes, sinners, and tax collectors. Why would he do that? And then he says to Matthew, follow me before Matthew ever agreed to stop tax collecting. Because in my economy, sinners and tax collectors and pimps and prostitutes and whoever else you marginalize, they are actually made in the image of God. And I've come to bring dignity to every single human being. And then I love, I love the incident where the, chil- like, the disciples are always trying to play gatekeepers. One day children are running up to Jesus to get on his lap and the disciples are like, you can't, he's busy. And Jesus is like, stop, shut up. Come to me. And that means nothing to you because of course you're gonna do that if you're a human being, not in the first century. They would commonly discard little girls on what they would call a a dung hill because they couldn't benefit the family and they would just leave them there to die of exposure. In a culture, they would sacrifice kids to the gods because that's just what you did. And in that moment, Jesus is creating a new value system. Everybody matters. Everybody's invited in. Everybody has dignity and worth. And one of the things that Jesus revealed in the first century that should kind of plague us or be a part of our conscience in every generation is that generally who the culture easily dismisses and then we find Bible verses to appease our conscience, Jesus comes along to say, that is not how my movement operates. That is not what Jesus has called you into. And if you still weren't convinced, he went to the cross and he gave away his physical life in the most torturous, agonizing way imaginable for sinners like me and you. And I think at the heart of modeling what Jesus did for us is this idea for the church in 2022 that while we may be always criticized for what we believe, we should be famous for how we treat people. Here's the thing that... um, I don't want to be too critical, but where the church so often gets confused. But Jesus could not have been any clearer when he said, if you want to know the way to the change of some individual's heart, do you want to know how to win individuals in regard to understanding and seeing who Jesus is? You can scream all day long about what you're against. It's not going to matter. They'll just hate you. But, but to quote the New Testament, it is God's kindness that leads people to change, to repentance. 
Like this misunderstanding of grace and truth has caused the church to think that if they are despised and hated in the culture that they're being faithful. Somehow you forgot to move into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and actually study the life of Jesus. Because Jesus was was large part of his ministry, the people that were most unlike him, remember, it was the religious leaders that crucified Jesus. The people that were most unlike Jesus, they liked Jesus. The church should be liked in the community in the city. Because we represent Jesus, and they may think we're ridiculous for what we believe. I get that. Revelation is crazy. They may be critical of a resurrected Savior, how you could believe that. I get that but they should be moved by how we treat one another and how we treat people in our city and community who are nothing like us because we are the body of Christ. And Jesus said to us, follow me. In our culture, a lot of times, it's, it's the question of what side am I on? How can I win? What side am I on? How can I win? And the church has adopted those questions. What side am I on? How I can win? Jesus showed up to go. Who's in need? How can I help? Who's marginalized? How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus to them? Who is pushed to the outside? How can I leave the 99 to go after that one? That was at the heart of what Jesus' mission and message was all about. And so every year I talk about this and I had a very specific goal when we started our church to disciple and lead our church in this direction to not just talk about this, but to build it into our fabric and our culture and our rhythms. And then every year, really come around it to go, okay, so what does this look like? Like, what should we do? Because it's easy to talk about all this stuff and go, yeah, 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 I get that. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, we should do that. And then not do anything. And so I've had the goal to make our church the most generous church in this community, in the city, to constantly give back. Because no strings attached tangible generosity, I think is the best expression of the love and the grace of Jesus. You can talk about it all day long. Come help me. You can talk about it all day long. I want you to do something that actually tangibly shows you are all about it. And so our goal every year is to unleash a wave of generosity on our community that everybody knows at a broad level what the church is against. We wanna be aggressive to shout, this is what the church is for. This is what Jesus is for. And I'm so proud of our church and what we've done. In fact, we've started a new initiative where every year we work with partner organizations in the city all year long, give money. We we funnel volunteers to them. And then we started a new initiative. We just started last month called Fourth Sunday for the City. In our first first month, when most people didn't even know about it, we raised several thousand dollars for choices, gave them a bunch of supplies that they needed. And we're going to do that every single month all throughout the year on top of everything else that we do in order to specifically and tangibly help these partner organizations. But then once a year, we come around this big idea in this year in October to push the flywheel forward and make a massive difference to move the ball down the field for these organizations that need a ton of help. And so here's what we're going to do if you're new to it. We're going to give over the next couple of weeks. We're going to serve. We're going to love. We're going to give. We're going to serve. We're going to love. I did not want to preach a message like this and go, hey, go. You should pray about this. No, no, no. Go give. Go serve. Go love. Let's do what we're actually talking about. And so there's a couple ways that we do that. The first thing is we give. Our goal um, this year is $50,000, just as one-time thing, to our community along with everything we do uh, throughout the year. So this is just kind of over and above um, every year. 
no guarantees. You guys get more generous than what our goal is. So we always have a bunch more projects waiting in the wings that we're going to give to. But we're going to raise $50,000. Next weekend is our offering Sunday or giving Sunday. And all of it goes to the community. And here's my thing every year that I say. I, I think a dollar amount is great. My bigger goal is participation. The 100% participation by every CC year, whether that's $4 or $4,000 or $40,000, because this is not something that just impacts the community. I know this from experience. This will impact you. This will make a difference in you. This is why Jesus said these famous words, where your treasure goes, your heart's going to follow it. You want to know how to care more about your city and community? Stop thinking that just praying about it is going to do it. Praying is easy. You want to care for your city and community? Give to your city and community. Serve your city and community. Do something. We talked about last week, holy people have dirty hands. Go get involved to change things. And so 100% participation, we're going to give $50,000 away. We do it toward issues like food insecurity, homelessness, medical care, women's crisis issues, education. This year, um, also hurricane relief with Hurricane Ian. I'll talk about that in a second. So we do this all throughout the year. This isn't a new thing. We partner with about 10 organizations. Generally, we have liaisons from our church that work with them all year long. We're constantly asking, what can we do to help? What needs do you have? We have um, one of our family promise, one of the uh, ministries that we serve, they help those who are homeless, not just give them a place to stay, but give them education, get them back on their feet. We actually house them on site several times a year as part of this program with other organizations and churches. So we're a part of this all year long. We vetted these individuals. We have personal relationships. And so we give directly to these partners to go, hey, we wanna help you. Now, now here's the thing, every year, when we do this, we come and basically ask them the question, what's going to make a big difference for you? And how can we help? For some of these organizations throughout the course of the year, we fund over 10% of their operating budget, which may not seem a lot to you. If you run a non-for-profit, that's massive. And so we get to actually make a difference with these organizations. And so here's a couple things um, this year. I'm just going to read them off. They're very, very specific. And then we've got a bunch more waiting in the wings because if you get crazy, we're ready to give more. Um, supplying choices with 40 plus baby bags to care for mothers in need, new babies, as well as some specific things around women's crisis that we're going to give money to. Equipping family promise. I just mentioned that get families back on their feet. We have seen the faces. We know the names. They've been a part of our church. Um, we're going to buy three computers they need desperately. We're going to fund a, a remodel of Women's Refuge for Amazing Love that we partner with. Um, Echo, we're going to fund ministries for women in between stable housing and mobile back-to-work program that they're getting started. We're going to give first responders care packs, specifically those who have been involved in Hurricane Ian Relief that is still ongoing. Um, we're going to assist Lighthouse Ministries to create a space specifically for older kids and teens in restorative programs. We're going to help fund Portamento of Cafe uh, or Portamento of Hope. Sorry, launch their thrift store to better get items that are donated to people who need them. 250 Bibles for Gift of Hope. We're going to supply Convoy of Hope with much needed funds. We're going to give half of our money um, to hurricane relief because that's in our backyard. There is a ton of needs. And I'll just tell you this, so many. I mean, there, there's somebody on my directional team. They're, one of their family members lost their house and everything they have. 
So it's personal, it's real. We've cried and prayed with some of these people. This is not removed from any, from any of us. We're a part of a partner network of churches with North Point. We have Jake, um, a guy that we know, their church was right in the path of this thing. They lead a church similar to ours. It's devastating in that area. I'm messaging him constantly. They're going to homes of people in their congregation, helping them clean things out, have no roofs, have been devastated, have lost everything. So Convoy of Hope is one of the best organizations that our partner works with, in my humble opinion, that does relief and gets aid to where it needs to go. We're going to give a bunch to them and then specifically to some people on the ground like Jake and their church to help them meet the needs of their community and give tangibly to what's happening in our community and city. So next weekend is our Giving Sunday, raising $50,000. You can give via the Centerpoint app. You can go ahead and give. If you're like ready right now, you're an early adopter, like I'm in, I know what I want to give. I'm giving right now in this moment. Do it. Others of you, you want to walk away and just pray about it. God, what would you have me do? What would you have our family do? How can we step into this? And maybe you've never given in your life, and this is the time to start. But you can give via the Centerpoint app. You can give via our website. You can give via um, that barcode right there. But next week, 23rd, we're going to come strong. And then here's the thing. I get the resistance. You're like, oh, here it is again, church, asking for money. I get all that. And if I had experienced what you experienced, I probably would be skeptical too, and I wouldn't give. But here's the thing every year that I encourage people on. We give every dollar of it away. None of it stays here, okay? It doesn't go to any lighting bills. We're not buying boxes. There's no shipping and handling fees. Like we're doing, and the thing that I would say, I'll talk about next week, all the people who are plan percentage priority givers, you're the ones that actually make this happen every year because you fund staff, you fund, you know, people like John who works with these partner organizations, all the stuff we're able to do behind the scenes so we can just say, hey, you give this time or throughout the year and we're gonna get all of it there and we don't need to keep any of it. Because we have so many who are generous and care about this. And so give, serve, love. And I just want to encourage you why we're doing this. It's going to impact people. It's going to help people. It's going to meet real needs. And we celebrate big. In fact, on December 4th, we're going to give it a few weeks, but we're going to celebrate big all of the stories of what God does through this. But it doesn't just impact the people who are getting something. It's going to impact the people who are giving something. And no strings attached generosity is at the heart of the Jesus movement. So let's give, let's serve in the way that we kind of prioritize this, this coming Saturday is our big serve day. And we're gonna come together. We have projects on site where we're gonna help assemble things for organizations. And then some of you are gonna sign up to go off site. And again, that day it's gonna help people. But listen, if we just did that one day a year, whatever. But it's not just about one or several serve days that we do throughout the year. Here's our goal, and I'm unapologetic about this. My hope and my prayer is that for some of these organizations, they would grab your heart. And that one day would turn into something more to where you begin to serve in an area of the city that captures your imagination. And then we're gonna love, and I'll give you some specific ways of just acts of kindness in your neighborhood. And this is what I encourage every year too. The easy thing to do is to go with 101. This is what everybody does. Oh, they're nice. I'm going to go help my neighbor down the street. No, don't start with them. Start with the neighbor you can't stand. Start with the coworker you don't like. Start with the person that you keep going back and forth with on Facebook because you're not very smart. Like, do, and I apologize for that, but like, you should just stop that. Um, go toward that person. Love that person. Show the love and grace of Jesus to that person. But let's give, let's serve, and let's love. And as I close, here's the thing I would say. This is the most important thing we can do. Yeah. Sing songs, that's amazing. That's a big part of it. Worship, learn theology, please get into a group. Grow in your faith, do all of those things. But you wanna know what it means to mature in your faith? This is what it looks like. 
This is what the first church did, and which is why I did that series first to kind of set this up. This is what the first church did in the first century after watching Jesus. And they entered into a culture that was unimaginable, a culture that said that injustice, can you imagine this? That injustice and lack of dignity was fate. That it was a part of the will of the gods. And then Jesus came along and he started a brand new movement with a brand new message that said, no, 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 all worldviews are not equal. And there is something more powerful than fate and it's faith. That now in my economy, the children that you marginalized and sacrificed, the women that you didn't think were people, the Romans that you hated, the centurions that you wouldn't even hang out with, the lepers that you thought were somehow being cursed by God. Now all those individuals have an elevated standing in the economy of God. They have dignity. They have intrinsic value. They're red, yellow, black, and white. They are made in the image of God. And if you want to love and serve God, you serve them. And you don't serve them in a condescending nature that makes them a project or somebody that I'm praying for. You serve them as a fellow heir to the kingdom of God, and as a son and a daughter of God, people that you are no better than, but for some reason God has given you the leverage or the influence or the ability to be able to help. And you, you are gonna do that to the best of your ability, to shine like stars in the sky, to quote New Testament writers, and to be a witness and to be a light in our culture where everybody knows what we're against. This is our opportunity to shout this is what we're for. This is what God is about. This is what Jesus has done. It's the heartbeat of our message that God so loved the world that he gave to everybody. So let's be that kind of church. Let's model that kind of behavior. And let's be like our father in heaven to do good for those who can and won't maybe ever do anything in return for us. That's a privilege. And to, in every way that we can communicate that everybody matters to God, whether God ever matters to them or not. Would you pray with me and stand to your feet if you don't mind all over the house. Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done in this church. Thank you for how you've grown us in this area. Thank you that uh, this is the thing I'm most proud of about these people that increasingly our reputation of church in this city is, is being known for generosity and giving away and being involved. And Lord, we thank you for your work in our hearts to lead us in that direction. And I pray that for us, we're, we're just getting started. I pray that we would double down and we would embrace this like never before to model the heart of our savior, to give, to serve and to love. And so over these next few weeks, I pray that you would meet real needs, that you would radically change people's story for the better for all of eternity that you would meet people where they are and maybe giving them housing or food or education wouldn't just be about the housing or food or education. To them, it would communicate the fact that God is actually with them and God is for them and God cares and that we would be the vehicle to communicate that. But I pray even beyond that, that God, you would do something in us. That God, what you have done on our, our, our behalf is, is almost inconceivable. And now I pray that we would do for others as you've done for us and that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. And we pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? 
first, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family, maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.